Hello, Katawantok. You're here to come with Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up first. I think it's misleading to say that this is the highest growth rate uh, in the sense of achieving any, any, any real growth. We crunch some of the numbers in the Fiji First Government's Bula Boom budget. Also, France pushes for a September meeting to formalise the end of the Numea Accord. The problem, however, is that the FLNKS still refuses to recognise the outcome of the referendum. And a former Marshall Islands president condemns doomsday climate reporting and advocates for a change in the narrative. By spending more time discussing solutions and not overwhelming readers with the problems. The Fiji First Government announced its 2022-2023 budget last Friday, describing it as a bula boom budget and a blueprint for the future of the country as it charts its pandemic recovery. But with soaring poverty levels and a continuously growing debt, which now sits at almost 10 billion Fijian dollars, or 85% of GDP, does the rhetoric match up with reality? Joining me to crunch some of the numbers is USB Senior Economics Lecturer Nilesh Kanda. Bula Nilesh and welcome on Pacific Waves. Let's start with your initial thoughts on the budget, which was passed last week. Uh, thanks, Koray. So firstly, this budget has been presented uh, within four months after the revised 2021-2022 budget uh, that was presented on, on 24th of March. Now, from this budget, you know, one of the key takeaways is that uh, the household transfers uh, towards uh, inflation mitigation. And I think that will contribute towards households that, uh, that have been impacted by the rising prices of, of, of goods and, and, and services, especially those um, uh, that are still on reduced hours or are still not employed. But the budget also shows that uh, government is under a tight fiscal space. Fiji's debt burden has continued to, to rise. The, the current debt to GDP ratio is now um, uh, over, over 80%, which means that uh, debt burden has, has, of course, continued to, to rise. And the growth forecast uh, for this year is, is 12.4% uh, uh, coming behind a negative growth of uh, 17.2% in 2020 and a negative growth of 4.1% in 2021. And the budget um, also shows the important role that cash grants uh, have played uh, in, in Fiji's um, economy, or especially for, for the budgets. For, for instance, uh, comparing uh, the, the fiscal years between 2020 and 2023, Fiji has now received cash grants uh, slightly over $730 million. And, and this has been important uh, in the sense that it has allowed the government to, to, to achieve policies or, or, or expenditures that it could otherwise uh, might not have been able to, uh, to afford or, or achieve. So I think all in all, uh, what this budget basically shows is that the government is in a tight fiscal space and, and the debt burden has continued uh, to rise. Naka, and just going on some things the Attorney General has said around the budget, um, the uh, 12.4% growth you mentioned, he's saying it'll be the highest growth rate ever. Is this, is this the case? I don't think you can you can call it that way because this this 12.4 percent is 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 coming behind a very low base. When we calculate GDP growth, we look at the the previous year's growth rate, uh, the previous year's um, uh, real GDP, and the current year's uh, real GDP. So coming from a very low grade, naturally and mathematically, 
we will see a relatively higher uh, growth rate. So I think it's misleading to say that this is the highest growth rate uh, in the sense of achieving any 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 real growth. So there is some real growth, but uh, the 12.4% is also based on the fact that uh, this growth rate is calculated from, from a lower, lower base. What needs to be considered is, is what is the real growth that is coming out uh, of, of this 12.4%, which is the forecast for, for, for this year. Right. And how would, how would one calculate that? Well, one needs to, to, to really look at um, the economic recovery and, and in terms of uh, how far we have come uh, and, and in terms of uh, the, the lowest uh, growth in, in the period, uh, say, one can look at 2020 and 2021 and, and how long will it take us to take it back to pre-COVID level of, of economic uh, growth. And uh, we have to be careful here once again, because the, the, the Fijian economy had already started to decline well before COVID. For instance, the growth rate in 2019 was negative 0.6%. So really, if we are looking at uh, a, a pre-COVID um, uh, recovery, real GDP, then, then we need to look back at, at, at say 2018, or even 2017, which was uh, which are relatively better or, or higher higher growth rate. So one needs to really look at uh, in in sense of what is the real growth that, that that's coming out of the the economy, rather than simply comparing it to a lower base. The the whole spiel around this budget has been very positive, coming from the Fiji government. They're calling it a a, a blueprint for the future, and that the best is yet to come. Does the, does the rhetoric match the reality given the high rates of poverty in the country? Every government will try to put a positive spin to its, to its budget. Uh, but what needs to be seen is, 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 is how the budget is implemented for the next 12 months and, and what are the actual the expenditures that have been budgeted for, whether these expenditures actually materialize or not. I think that's really uh, important. So the, the, the budget is simply a plan. But the policies that, that are contained in the budget uh, are expected to, to live beyond one fiscal year and, and, and it's expected to drive growth in the short to, to medium term. So it's, it's really about uh, the deeper aspects of the budget in terms of uh, policy and other strategies and measures, uh, how they contribute to, to, to growth in the short to, to medium term. So while some of the household transfers uh, towards negation of inflation will definitely help help household, but these are one-term uh, transfers. You know, one can put a positive spill out of which is which is which is which is good because it's going to support the houses. But but really, one needs to look at the policies and strategies that is going to drive uh, growth in the short to to medium term. The, the government expenditure might provide some growth, but uh, one really expects is the private sector to to really drive growth in the medium to longer term because any consumption driven growth uh, will be short lived and 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 uh, any government that attempt that is attempting to drive growth by 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 simply increasing government expenditure will realize that is not sustainable in the medium to 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 long run so really the the, the outcome of the budget uh, will be seen throughout the year as and when the expenditures are realized and 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 the policies are being implemented and the policies have the desired impact. So, it's, so, so it remains to be seen what is the real or true impact of the budget uh, in the next 12 months or in the next one to three years. 
Now, for those of you interested to hear more of this Talanoa, a full extended version of the interview, including some important questions about possible electioneering-like aspects of the budget, will be available online. Just look up today's episode of Pacific Waves on our website, rnzi.com, or check out the individual podcast segments available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred podcast platform. There is uncertainty about a formal meeting in September called by the French Interior Ministry to discuss New Caledonia's future. The talks with New Caledonia's political leaders are meant to wrap up the Noumea Accord process, which was concluded with last December's third and final referendum on independence from France. However, the pro-independence parties refuse to recognise the outcome of the vote and now say they won't go to Paris. Joining me is senior RNZ Pacific journalist Walter Swifel. Bula Walter, tell us more about this proposed meeting and why it is so contentious. Well, we had a referendum on independence in December, the last of the three referendums under Nomi Accord, which ended with the decision that independence or full sovereignty was to be rejected. France wants to and has to set up a new statute for New Caledonia because the Nomi Accord has now come to its conclusion with this rejection and the meeting has was called uh, the interior minister, Gerald Darmanin, proposed in the middle of September in Paris with all leaders from New Caledonia, including the so-called signatories to the Mie Accord. The process seen for France now is to wrap up this Mie Accord phase with these three referendums. The problem, however, is that the FLNKS or the pro-independent side still refuses to recognize the outcome of the referendum as the legitimate expression of the people to be decolonized. Uh, remember, because of the COVID situation back then, the pro-independence parties decided not to vote, uh, meaning that a majority of voters, eligible voters, did not express their opinion, they did not vote. Uh, the result was 96% against independence, which is basically the anti-independence uh, voters going to the polls and the others not. Uh, polls were not around really, but uh, there was a general feeling that it was really close. It could have gone either way. Uh, so we've got this situation where this follow-up talks in Paris are now in jeopardy or possibly even to be cancelled because if one side or the key party is not there, then uh, uh, um, an outcome of this discussion uh, you know, is impossible. Now, the, the involvement of Damana himself is interesting. If, if you can just t- talk us through what happened after the French election and where that stands now in terms of the government structure in, involving the Pacific Territories. Um, in the lead up to the reshuffle, there used to be a, an overseas minister. It was uh, Sebastian Lecornu. In this reshuffle, he was promoted to become now the Minister of Defence, the called Minister of the Armies. Uh, it was Lecornu who set in place the process with this idea to have a, a new referendum next year on a new statute. But with this government reshuffle, is a bit. Born, the new prime minister decided to do away with the separate minister for overseas territories, overseas minister. He became a junior minister aligned to the interior minister. Uh, so the interior ministry is now overseeing the overseas territories, 
which include, you know, French Polynesia, New Caledonia, La Réunion, and territories or island territories in in, in the uh, Caribbean. Uh, Darmana, as new interior minister and also in charge of these overseas territories, decided on his appointment for uh, for this portfolio that he was going to visit all overseas territories, including obviously New Caledonia, and he was due in New Caledonia before the end of this month. However, with this announcement made in Paris that was going to be this September conference with all the signatories, uh, he decided he was going to put off his inaugural visit as minister responsible for New Caledonia until September when this meeting was to be held, which of course now is in jeopardy. And now, with this stalemate, what are the, I guess, what are the possible outcomes or, or ways that this this can be resolved? Given again how polarized this is with the French and the anti-independent position, and the the Canada and pro independence position. Well, it, it is a difficult situation because uh, the pro independence uh, parties are there, the people are there. They are not accepting this outcome. They say and they insist that they have an internationally recognized right to self-determination, which is also accepted by France that it exists. Uh, the pro-independent side says if there are any talks, they're not going to be held in Paris. They have to be held in New Caledonia. So turning the table on the French government in the sense that they ex- the pro-independent side expects the French minister and whatever experts to come to New Caledonia for talks there and not in, not to go to Paris. Um, the position of the pro-independent side is that the Noumea Accord was a decolonization process and decolonization means in the end sovereignty or independence or an arrangement that satisfies the independence aspirations of the Canex. Now, uh, they said or from their point of view, this referendum process was one which was meant to take the established settlers in New Caledonia along to this decolonization and leading to a new independent Kanak in New Caledonia. They say the settlers, they want to be French, they don't want to be with us. Hence, we have to discuss our independence with France directly. So they say, if there are going to be any talks, they have to be bilateral talks between the Canucks and the French government and the settlers, they, they've decided that they don't want to be part of this independent New Caledonia, hence we're not going to talk to them. Of course, from the anti-independence point of view, uh, things look differently because they said we did go along with this decolonization process. We had our votes. Uh, you had your chance to vote. Uh, you didn't vote. We won. Hence, we are part of France and we will find a new statute that will accommodate New Caledonia within the French system. The media has been taken to task for doom-laden climate crisis presentations in a speech at an international workshop and told to tell the full story. Former Marshall Islands President Hilda Heine made the comments as the keynote speaker at the East-West Centre's International Media Conference in Hawaii. Don Wiseman listened in and filed this report. A senior research fellow at the East-West Centre, Victoria Kina, said the dominant narrative of coverage casts the islands as passive and vulnerable, and the reporting is framed in colonialistic and paternalistic themes. 
Dr Heine told the audience in Honolulu there's no doubt the mainstream media has helped spread the message about climate change, but to focus on drowning islands as much of the coverage has is misleading. She says too often the audience is overwhelmed with the problem, while there was little discussion of the solutions. By spending more time discussing solutions and not overwhelming readers with the problems, repeated focus on the impacts of climate change can leave the public with an overall sense of powerlessness or by centering human rights in the coverage of the climate crisis, by highlighting sustainable indigenous practices. For example, in the dry and frequently drought-ridden northern Marshall Islands, families there place high value on food, food preservation processes for seafood, as well as for seasonal local food plants, including pulp from the pandanus fruit, we call it mogon. Some varieties of the pandanus tree produce nutrition-rich mogon, which when sun-dried over several days, turns into healthy, sweet-dried snack known as jagaga. Jagaga can be eaten by itself, soaked in water to make nutritious drink, or eaten with coconut meat, meat for a full meal. These can last for months without refrigeration. Another of the conference's participants was the General Secretary of the Pacific Conference of Churches, James Bagwin, who says being vulnerable doesn't have to mean being a victim. He says there's a strength in vulnerability. It's an ownership of the problem. We need to shift that meta-narrative from victimhood to one of resilience and resistance. The climate warriors shifted the narrative by saying we're not drowning, we are fighting. And I think that was the beginning of a very big shift for the media to start thinking about it from another perspective. But still we have that focus on victimhood rather than resilience and resistance. 24-year-old Samoan climate activist Brianna Fruin featured prominently at the COP26 climate meeting in Glasgow last year. She was recently named as a Global Citizen Prize winner, partly for her work on climate change. Brianna Fruin told the conference in Honolulu that the media doesn't want to let the locals be heroes. Like There are young Pacific heroes in our islands who are doing the resilience work, who are doing the adaptation work, who are even doing the mitigation work, and media will still come and, and interview us for what is the reality, what is happening, the, the climate impacts, but then we'll highlight someone in the global north for what they're doing about climate change and let them be the hero of the story coming to save us. And I'm really grateful that that Reverend has um, brought up we are not drowning, we are fighting, because that's the narrative that young Pacific people have been trying to push for so long because the mainstream media don't seem to get it. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Thomas, for here to come and looking for a bike next time more.